Hello, hello, all you beautiful people. I'm Amber Enerson. I'm Kelsey Enerson. And this is our podcast, You Are the Alchemist, where we discuss all things mental health in a fun and relatable way. This week, we are going to be talking about high-functioning anxiety. Uh, We talked about high-functioning depression last week, so this week we're going to be going over high-functioning anxiety and what that might look like when you're going through it. Um, So excessive and ongoing anxiety can be challenging to control and does interfere with your daily activity. And high-functioning anxiety is a subset of generalized anxiety disorder, which is what 6.8 6.8 million people in the United States alone have. Oh, my God. So, I, I bet there's probably more because there's people that haven't actually been diagnosed with it. Right. But that's just the diagnosed people, right? Yeah, yeah. that's just clinically diagnosed with a generalized anxiety there's disorder. There's more than 6.8 million. Oh, absolutely. Billion, billion people. people. Yeah. yeah. And this is, like, you guys have to remember, like, only 50% of people that suffer with mental illness actually seek treatment for it yeah a lot of people just dry knuckle it yeah whatever that term (laughs) so if you think about it then if 6.8 million people is what's clinically diagnosed and only about half half of the people that suffer with it actually seek treatment then it's probably closer to 12 to 15 million people and that's just in the united states Yeah. yeah so The um, high-functioning anxiety is, like, you'll have the same types of things as you have with generalized anxiety disorder, but it's in a way that most people are able to mask or put a facade over or kind of hide. Um, There are symptoms that you won't really recognize unless that person has told you that they actually have that because high-functioning anxiety is actually mostly internal. Whereas, like, generalized anxiety disorder, you'll see a lot of external evidence of that just within daily activities. Yeah. there's, like, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Uh, yeah. People with high-functioning anxiety can also have those, but, like, they hide. generalized anxiety, you, at that point, you just can't control it. And, like, well, I, I used to be that way. Like, I used yeah. to be to the point where I'd be out in public and I'd have a panic attack or Right. And that was me too. When I finally decided I had to change something, I had started having panic attacks at work and I would have to like leave my station to go take care of it. Because if not, like you're going to compromise your job and your ability to do your job. Mm -hmm. And it affects even like your home. It affects your relationships. It affects literally every area of your life, especially generalized anxiety disorder. 100%. Because that they don't have a specific trigger. Like, social anxiety has a specific trigger. Seasonal affective disorder has a specific trigger. Some panic attacks have a specific trigger. Generalized anxiety is literally anything and everything, and all you can do is worry. And it's worrying about everything from whether you took the garbage out that day to the entire world ending and you blowing up and watching your entire family blow up. Wow. That went dark. I mean, yeah. Yes, I concur. (laughs) It was definitely a struggle because no matter what I did, it was always, like, extreme. It was like, oh. I would go zero to 100. I would, you know, I would be like, what if my entire family goes somewhere without me and they all die? Yeah. 
Me too. And I would like go into a panic about it. And there was literally, there was literally no reason for me to be worried about this. It just, and our family is weren't even going anywhere. It just popped in my head. <laughs> it just, it was like, hey, what if this happened? And what would your life look like after that? And then it would just like blow up. <laughs> yep. Catastrophize. I catastrophize everything. Yep. It was the same way for me, and that was always one of my biggest worries. It's like, oh, my family's going to go do this, and I'm not going to be there, and everyone's going to die, and I'm not going to get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but that's generalized anxiety disorder. Oh, and yeah. I was, I'm here to talk about that. I was very much high-functioning. Like, you can have generalized anxiety disorder and still be high-functioning. Yeah, you can be both. Yeah, like anybody who would see me from the external world, unless they saw me, like, break down at work would not have had any idea that I actually had crushing yes. anxiety. Uh, emphasis on the external world, because yeah. everyone knows you have crazy anxiety. <laughs> Anyone that actually knows you. <laughs> yes. But, like, if you saw me at the store or, yeah, no. like, just walking around or even, like, I was a three a 4.0 GPA student. I had a degree. I worked 50 to 60 hours a week. I was a single mom. And Are we bragging now? No, I'm just saying, <laughs> like, these were, this is what high-functioning anxiety is, because yeah. you're a chronic overachiever, and you're a functional perfectionist. Well, everyone. That's high-functioning anxiety is, according to the Mayo Clinic. An overachiever? An overachiever in any area, like, oh. if you have high-functioning anxiety. I was going to say, I don't have a master's degree or anything like that, but I, no, but I at your work, you have high-functioning well, and in your work, you always push yourself to be the best. Yes. Like when you worked at Menards and pretty much destroyed your body. I did. Yeah. I'm still famed for that. Or when you worked at Walmart and you were the best, no matter what area you worked in, that is still overachieving. It doesn't have to be master's degrees and single that just parenthood. Means and I'm awesome at stuff. No, because <laughs> you destroy yourself to do it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> So that is where the high functioning anxiety comes in is like people literally destroy themselves trying to maintain this expectation that they've only created for themselves or a lot of society will put those expectations on people as well. So society is pretty much breeding people with high functioning anxiety. You something that I have what I would say all right, let me start over. Oh, <laughs> so the easiest way for me to tell when I have really bad anxiety is when it's still and it's quiet and I have absolutely no idea what to do and it starts freaking out. Right. Because that means I have to be doing something. I obviously forgot something. If I have this free time, like there's no – like there's no way that I can relax right now because there has to be something going on. Right. And then you'll rack your brain trying to figure out what it is. And really it's just, you and actually if there have is nothing. I will create something that I need to worry about. Yep. That's called an addiction to stress. A lot of people surprisingly have addictions to stress. So when they're not stressed out, then they're worried and they will create something to stress out about. Okay. Let's save that for another time. I'll let you get that <laughs> on your, uh... So, High functionality with anxiety, um, people are often successful in their careers and other roles, 
yet they internally struggle with persistent feelings of excessive stress, self-doubt, and fear of not measuring up. So almost no matter how much you succeed, like me, even with everything that I have accomplished, I still feel like that's not enough. Like I should be doing something else. I need to accomplish something else. That actually reminds me of the podcast I'm listening to right now. Yeah. Um, I listen to Glennon Doyle, We Can Do Hard Things. Yes. And they are, the one I am on right now is, are you satisfiable? Like, do you actually think that you can ever feel satisfied? Right. Or if you're always continuing to try and do something or better something or like, are you ever going to be able to be satisfied with the life that you have? Right, which is what most people struggle with. I think everyone struggles with it. Yeah, because it's like, like people have this idea that happiness and accomplishment is some destination, it's some point of being, it's some state of being. No, it's an internal, like you can internally feel happy even if everything in your life is falling apart. That's what comes with like self awareness, perspective, and intention. Yep. Like I have, I have a house, I have groceries, I have a car, I have a job. Can I just be satisfied with this? But right. no, we're always trying to get the next best thing. Right. And I, I mean, I do it constantly. I'm always thinking about the next thing that I can get or the oh, next I thing am that too. I can achieve. Yep. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that's wrong with society right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not the biggest. I mean, there's also the climate crisis. (laughs) But as far as, like, what we are talking about internally with psychology. Yeah, functioning on a daily basis is we always are trying to get something better or go to a destination that doesn't actually exist. Right. Because once you reach that destination, then it's going to be another destination Mm -hmm. and another destination and another destination. Because we're constantly thinking of the next best thing, like you said. And that has also been created from society. Because even like businesses, CEOs, like they will never be satisfied with their, what they're putting out now. They're not satisfied with the billions of dollars they've already made. Right. They have to get more and more. And when, when you go to look for a new job, what are you guys looking for? You're looking for a raise. Yep. You're looking for better hours. You're looking for more vacation vacation. time. Yep. You are always trying to better. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with trying to better your life by a better job or, but when, when can you be satisfied with this is my life currently and I like my life right now? Well, and that's also because the focus is so external. Mm -hmm. So many people cannot sit with themselves And look at their internal state of being because they'll get anxious or because they'll slip into depression or because they'll be unsatisfied or discontent. And that is actually what's creating the discontent in your external world. Because if you were at peace inside of yourself, nothing out there is going to matter. And it causes anxiety looping back around because I know we keep going off track. Right. But looping back around is the anxiety of having to continually climb the ladder or continually try to figure out a different way to live or a better way to live or the next best thing it creates anxiety in you on a on a daily basis right it's not it's not something that just comes one time and then goes away 
there was actually a podcast that I was listening to on the way here. Um, I listened to the Man Talks podcast by Connor Beaton, even though it's specifically for men. But <laughs> I still, I still find it interesting. And one of the things that they said that also contributes to anxiety is the feeling of not being in control of your own life. Because you constantly have a mortgage saying you have to pay this month on this, this much on this day, and this much money is going to go to this all the time, or credit cards or any type of debt that is actually not having control of your life because there's constantly somebody telling you what you have to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Same with like kids and soccer teams, like they're constantly telling you what you're going to do every Saturday and Sunday for the next however many years your kids are in this sport. Or in your jobs, you constantly have someone saying, you're going to have to do this. And if you don't do this, you can lose your job. And if you lose your job, you'll lose your house. You'll lose your car. You'll lose everything you own. Exactly. And that's really where the anxiety comes in because it puts us in a position specifically with high-functioning anxiety. There is a lot of self-criticism. Like a lot of people with generalized anxiety, they're not necessarily criticizing themselves because they're so focused on all of the events that are causing them to catastrophize. But with high functioning anxiety, because it's so internalized, you're actually criticizing yourself for your state. Like, oh, I'm a terrible person because I have to go to this job that I don't even like because I have to make this much money. And if I don't make this much money, then I'm not going to be able to take care of my family. And if I can't take care of my family, then I'm failing at the one thing I'm supposed to be doing in life. Well, this is also a perfect example of, and I know there's a lot of people out there with me on this. um, Say, I mean, there's memes about it, but say you say something weird to someone or you think that it could have came across weird or you don't realize it until later that day, like, oh, I wonder if they took that the wrong way. And it literally keeps you up at night. Yeah. Because you're anxious about it. Because <laughs> you don't know what they think. Right. And like, it's just, it's a perfect example of, wow, I'm a shitty person because I said that. But in all actuality, they may not have taken it the way that you think they took it. Right. They took it the way that you meant to take that you meant to say it. Right. But it's just one of those like constant on a reel, like, was I weird today? Did I say something? <laughs> Did some, is someone mad at me? Like someone can be totally fine with me and I'll feel a weird vibe and it may have nothing to do with me, but I instantly am like, what did I do to upset them? Did I screw <laughs> something up? Uh, wh- did they think I looked at them the wrong way because I have resting bitch face? So <laughs> maybe they think that I'm mad at them. So they're mad at me. And it's just like this constant anxiety but hey, I'm going through the day, I'm smiling, I'm talking to people, but I still have that internal struggle constantly because did I screw up my job? Did I put in enough hours? Did I blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and it just continually cycles. And that's the perfect example of high functioning anxiety, because a lot of times it goes undiagnosed because people with high functioning anxiety are very comfortable overcoming their challenges. They're very focused on going against their fears. They're very focused on not retracting from life, even when they're having all of these anxious thoughts. Whereas like social anxiety, you retract from any situation that causes anxiety. And I think that what you just said, I think I was pushed into high functioning anxiety. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I used to have terrible social anxiety. I used to have 
terrible generalized anxiety, I would get anxious about getting in my car to drive to work. And I wasn't afraid of car accidents. I was just anxious to be inside a car that I couldn't escape. And it, it, it roots really deep. And basically the point is I had something called emetophobia and I still currently have it, but it's not as bad. It's a fear of vomiting. Yep. And if I got in the car, I wouldn't know what was going to happen if I threw up and the thought of throwing up would make me anxious. And then the thought of not being able about going 55 miles per hour. I mean, let's be real. I was probably going 70, but, (laughs) and not being able to throw up if I needed to throw up, like it was a constant loop. And that's what caused the anxiety of getting in a car, getting in an elevator, being in public because I didn't want to throw up in front of someone. Right. And you never know when you're going to throw up if you get sick. So it was this fear that was established in me as a child. And I won't get into the story, but it was almost as if everything in my life was falling apart because I couldn't go out. I couldn't be social. So that disturbed my relationships. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time going in my car to go to work. I still kept a job, but I was in a panic the entire time I was in the car. When I was at work, I was in in a panic because I didn't want to throw up in front of someone. It was constant. And so, yes, that's a phobia, but it also caused anxiety. And the anxiety caused nausea. And then the nausea convinced The nausea convinced me that I was going to throw up, which made the anxiety worse. Right. And eventually, I had to get to a point, and to be fair, I did get on antidepressants to start controlling my anxiety. However, even with the antidepressants, I still had the anxiety and I was forced to just comply with society and Mm -hmm. comply with, this is what you have to do. You don't have a choice. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin any job opportunities. You're going to ruin all your friendships. You're going to move, ruin your relationship. So I was basically pushed into being a high functioning, anxious person. Right. Which is, it's almost as if you have to choose one of two evils. Yeah. Either you choose to internalize everything, attack yourself, get into a position of high-functioning anxiety, which you, where you can't actually ever address that high-functioning anxiety, or you let your entire life fall apart. And most people are going to choose the high-functioning anxiety route. Right. Which is why there's so many people that are emotionally dysregulated. There's so many people that have nervous system issues. There's so many people that are in a constant fight or flight because they're not aware of high-functioning anxiety or they're not aware of what to do to give themselves the space to deal with that anxiety in a healthy way so that it's not compromising every area of their life. And it appears often that these people are in control or like they're excelling in their roles. So they're getting congratulated almost and celebrated because they continue to push this high functioning anxiety below the surface, which eventually starts to tear you up from the inside out. But you're being celebrated because you're successful, because you've achieved, because you look like you have it all together. You have people that try and model their life after you. Not realizing that every day you're dealing with something that is destroying you from the inside out. And then you get the anxiety of what will happen if I stop succeeding? What will happen if I don't perform great one day? How many questions will I get if I'm just 
in a bad mood for one day. Right. Because, oh, you're always so great. You're always achieving the most. So what happens if you just take it down a notch? Or what will happen to my relationships if one day I can't do this anymore? Yeah. What will happen to my family? Will they abandon me? Will they leave me? What will happen to my home if I can't keep it together all the time? When really, like, nobody can keep it together all the time. It's impossible to always have it together. And a lot of people struggle with it on their own, with no support, with nothing to help them. And a lot of it, there's shame attached to it. Yeah. Like, I know, at least for me, and I'm assuming for you, there's shame in not having it all together. Oh, yeah. By the way that we were raised, you it didn't matter what was going on in the car or at home before you went to church or you went to school. You would put it, you would slap a smile on your face and you would pretend like everything was fine. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if your parents were screaming at each other the entire way. It right. didn't matter if they were fighting till 3 a.m. the night, night before. before and you got no sleep because your parents were screaming at each other. Right. It didn't matter. You had to appear like everything was in order and you take that into adulthood with you. Oh, yeah. I've had so many times when I'm falling apart and it's like, oh, I can't let my girls see this. But you have to. Like, you have to let them know. Your children need to know that it's okay to not be okay. Right. It is okay. I'm not saying flip out on them. I'm not saying, like, every day is terrible and you can let them see that you're not put together constantly. But they do need to see that emotions are real and emotions are okay and it's okay to break down and I constantly 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 make sure that I explain to them yes like this is not because of you I know mommy's stressed I know she is acting crazy (laughs) but it's not because of you I know that you don't really know how to help me it's just how mommy's brain works sometimes I just get overwhelmed I get anxious I get nervous especially when I'm driving I hate driving hate it and all and we hate driving just <laughs> so everyone knows and the girls have got it down pat where they're like oh put on this song mom this song calms you down and I'm like okay you're right I need to do that and it's so funny because my children are four and six and if you allow people to support you they will even as a child like my children are like take some deep breaths yep or they're like yep. do you need a blanket <laughs> yeah. They'll bring me their blanket. They'll bring me a stuffed animal. They'll say, put your song on, mom. Or can what can I do to help you? And they're four and six years old. Yeah. My daughter will, like, if I'm, if I'm like, oh, my God. And she'll be like, what? And I'm like, I'm just frustrated right now. And she'll be like, okay, take some breaths, mom. Yep. Or, like, if I freak out on someone when I'm driving because I'm mad at them because they're driving <laughs> the left lane. At the speed limit, um, she'd be like, Mom, calm down. It's okay. Yep. And, you know, it's just, they know if you let them know. Right. But you have, and that goes, like, if a child is capable of doing that for you, imagine how much more so your partner or your best friend or your sister or your brother or your parents. Imagine how much more so an adult who actually understands the mental state of an adult can give you that support if you let people know yeah. that you need it. If you open up to them. But so often we are so focused, especially as high-functioning anxious people, we're so focused on keeping all of that hidden 
that we don't allow people to give us support, which many people will tell me still that I don't know how to receive help, which is true. It is true. <laughs> I don't know how to receive help. I have and gotten... she's telling you guys how to live your life. So... <laughs> I have the knowledge. Just because I have the knowledge does not mean I know how to apply it every day. You are your worst critic. That's very true. But... The point is, if a child can understand that, imagine how much more support you could get if you were willing to be open about it, and you don't have to be okay all the time. And if at first you're not comfortable with talking to someone close to you, that's what therapy is for. Yep. And it is great, because they can't judge you. It is literally their job to listen to you and to help you and to guide you. Well, and as they are paid for. As a counseling student, I can assure you that it is ethically unlawful for us to judge someone (laughs) well yeah so and not only that like they have multiple clients and they're probably seeing all kinds of stuff like your shit is probably not as bad as you think it is not saying wait uh Uh, that sounded wrong (laughs) like to compare but i'm saying like if you think that they're gonna think you're crazy because you're acting a certain way there's They're probably not. somebody else way crazier than you. Well, I don't like that term, but yes, like there's probably someone that reacts, you know, more, more reactive. There's no good way to fucking say this. <laughs> I don't know. But the point is they've seen it all. Let's yes. just leave it at that. Yes. And they're trained. I am currently in training to handle all different situations, all different reactions, all different, you know, emotional states, mental states, physical states, like a counselor and a therapist, especially if they're a good one, is trained on how to do that. And they apply their training every day. Yeah. Not just in work. Multiple therapists, some of the craziest shit that I thought, I mean, it is crazy shit, but I thought it was way crazier, and they literally just were like, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I tell, I've told some people this, and their reaction is always like, oh my god, I can't believe that. Like, what in the world? How did you believe that? How did you think that? Blah, 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 blah. And, like, people blow up about the things that has happened in my life, and my therapists mm-hmm. are just like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. So, don't ever <laughs> think that... And if your therapist does react like that, find a different therapist. Right. Also, remember that in the long run, it has to be comfortable for you. I told my cousin this because she was struggling with one of her therapists. And I was like, look, a therapist is there to serve you. So if something that they are doing is not serving you and is not benefiting you and they are not willing to listen to your point of view, then find a different one who will be list a who will be willing to uh, engage with your own experience because your experience is the most ex- important experience when it comes to therapy and counseling. And you owe them no explanation. No, you don't have to say anything. Yep. And there are many many different ways to adapt and change treatment plans to better serve the client. So if you have a therapist that is not willing to adapt your plan then find a therapist who will adapt your plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is necessary for therapists to push buttons and pull off band-aids. That is true. And it is necessary for them to get you into an emotionally reactive state. 
but they should never leave you in that emotionally reactive state. They should be able to tell you how to manage it and cope with it while you're still reactive. And that's another thing that my cousin was talking about. Like they would just leave her in an emotionally reactive state and then she has a terrible day the rest of the day. And that is not how it should be either. They should be teaching you tools, but it is their job to push buttons. Yeah, it is. Because you don't realize what you're not facing if they don't do that. Right. I had some really hard conversations with my therapist. And at the time I was, you know, pissy about it. But (laughs) I needed it. I needed it. And it's not, so it's not to say like anytime a therapist makes you uncomfortable, that means you fire them and find another one. But if there will be uncomfortable, yes, you will. That's the point is to make you, <laughs> but you uncomfortable. have to work through your shit. You have to work through right. your uncomfortableness. But if, but if you feel like they're not giving you the care that you need or adapting things to help you, yeah, then that would be when it's time to look for another one that maybe has a different treatment option that resonates more with you. Mm-hmm. But so back to anxiety. Oh, geez. The physical symptoms that you might experience when you're high-functioning anxiety would be racing heart, excessive sweating, feeling off-balance or lightheaded, headaches and migraines, intestinal discomfort, muscle tension, rubbery or jelly legs, sleep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, that's the weirdest. Like, I feel like that after I run, but that's I was understandable. With, I was with you with all of them until the rubbery legs. I know. <laughs> but it's like your legs, like, give out give from out, under yeah. you. Yeah. Um, sleep disturbances, which everyone expects that. And then another interesting one was tingling or numbness in your toes or fingers. Oh, I get that all the time. Yeah. That's like a physical symptom. I also get that when I, when I'm trying to poop too long though. (laughs) My my feet fall asleep. We talk about everything on this podcast. I don't give a shit. Including bowel movements. Everybody poops. But mine was always, like, the racing heart and the excessive sweating. Like, if I start sweating a lot or my heart starts to race or, like, the rubbery legs, like, my legs will feel like they're going to give out from under me. That's when I knew, like, I was on the verge of losing my shit or, like, a panic attack. That's where it's like, I have to get out of this situation right now or I'm going to end up collapsing or passing out. I feel, like, almost out of body when my anxiety gets too bad. Like yeah. I feel like I can feel myself. I don't know how to explain it. That is called, what is that? That is, it's a specific reaction. Is it like dissociation? Dissociation, yeah. yes. Yeah, I start dissociating when my anxiety gets really bad. Yeah, because that emotion is too much for you to handle. And like my body just feels weird. I feel like I'm not my own body. Yeah. I, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. It is. And then you feel like you're not in control, even yeah. though you are in control. And then like my vision gets all blurry. Yep. And like it it looks like things are moving that are perfectly standing. It's it's bad. Yeah. I know I, there's someone out there that can relate to this. I can relate to that as well cuz yeah. usually but mine was usually like when I'm having a panic attack, that's how I feel. Oh. Like I feel like I'm out of my body. I can't control my body. I can't control my breath. I'm like hyperventilating. Can't breathe, yeah. Yeah. It was awful the few times that I had them. Yeah. Um and then internally Uh, You will struggle with criticism and fear of criticism. So any type of criticism, even constructive criticism, is very, very difficult for a person with high-functioning anxiety. And I tell this to my mom all the time. It's like, I already criticize myself enough. I already am hard enough on myself. 
So if I feel as if anybody is being any harder on me, it's like I can't handle it because I'm already constantly. And that's why you get so defensive. Oh, You're yeah. Like one of the most defensive people I know. Yeah. And I try. That's I try not to be. Yeah. But it's like it gets to that point where it's out of my control because it's part of that high functioning anxiety. Right. It's like you have no idea how critical I already am to myself. Yeah. So when it's added, it's like crushing. It's like, I can't do this. I can't handle this. Even sometimes with my daughters, they're not even trying to be critical. They're just like, mom, why didn't you do this? I'm like, you know what? I didn't have to do that. That's why I didn't do it. Yeah. And they're four and six and I still get like defensive, but I, I do get better at that sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it depends on my state of mind before I the criticism happens. I think it really happens. matters how you approach someone with you yes. can't just start barking out like you didn't do this and you need to be better at this. It's more so you have to you have Sugarcoat to say it. <laughs> it to them out of love. Like the other day or week or whenever it was when like Kimber spilled something. Yeah. And I let you do your thing and then before I left I was like kids spill stuff. It's okay. Yeah. Like I love you and I know you love them. But maybe next time, just, like, let it roll. Yeah. And you didn't get defensive when I said it like that. You didn't, like, act out. Right. If I would have said, like, in the middle of you doing it, like, stop yelling at them. They're kids. They do that stuff. Yeah. Then you would have gotten defensive. I know you would have. Yep. I probably would have gotten you And you probably would have gotten <laughs> even more mad and took it out, taken it out on them. Right. So if you are approaching someone with constructive criticism... You, you need to be mindful of how you approach the situation. Right. Because a lot of times that you have to remember that that person, whatever you can say, that person has already probably told themselves even worse than that. Yeah. There was like, there's this song. I don't remember the name of it, but it's like, you can't say anything to me that I don't already say to myself. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's legitimately what it is. Yeah. And you don't know if that person, you don't know what anxieties people are dealing with. So just have some grace and have some, you know, compassion if you do have a problem with something. Yeah, definitely. And then there is um, some of the other internal things is a fear of looking inadequate or foolish, which is one of my biggest issues is I hate when somebody or something makes me look stupid or tries to make me look stupid. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to show you just how smart I am because you're trying to make me look like an idiot here and I'm not one. And then people try to overcompensate. Yep. Which is, I mean, that is high functioning anxiety, but I think it's in general too. Yeah. Especially if there's, especially if there's insecurities, almost every single person has some sort of underlying insecurity that you have no idea about. And a lot of times when they are defensive, that is their own insecurity coming out. It's not anything to do with you or the situation. It's their own insecurity of not being enough or not being adequate or looking like an idiot or not being a professional. Like so many people think you have to go into everything already knowing what to do. But the fact of the matter is you're not going to change or do anything different until you're okay with being a beginner again. And whatever it is, whether it's mental health, whether it's a job, whether it's being a mother, like you're a beginner every single day as a parent. You, I just started a new job. This is my fourth week. And obviously I screwed stuff up, you know? Right. I didn't do stuff right. 
And every time I would get corrected, I felt terrible. And I was like, why am I not better at this? Why? Like, I'm so sorry. I would apologize repeatedly. And I'd be like, I'll do better next time, you know? And I felt this, like, this feeling inside me, like, what if I'm not cut out for this? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is you're going to stumble before you run. Like, it's just, that's just life. I started running in July. I could barely make it a mile before I would lose my mind and I would have to stop even within that mile. Now I'm up to five miles without stopping. Like I don't stop. I can breathe. I had to slow down my pace quite a bit, but (laughs) I had to be okay with failing that first couple of months because I was, I had a goal that I wanted to reach. I wanted to reach five miles and you have to be okay with failing. Us as a society in general, we always want, um, and myself included, we want, um, what is the word? We want immediate results. Uh, instant gratification. Yes, instant yes. gratification. We want things to be perfect. When I start trying to play a song on the guitar and I don't nail it the first time, there's been many times I've given up. Right. And I'm like, well, fuck it. I don't really want to learn that song anyway. Fuck you. <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, no one can just pick something up and be perfect at it. It's just, it, that's not how anything in life will ever work. Right. And that is part of society in general and part of high-functioning anxiety. Um, in addition to that, you'll also always feel on edge or on the verge of losing control, which is probably one of the scariest things, is when you feel like you're going to lose control. Because you're most likely not. Like, 80% of what you're afraid of never actually happens. But it doesn't change the fact that that fear is crippling. Because that's your body's job. Your body and brain's job is to protect you when there's any chance of risk. And if you're afraid that you're going to lose control, then there is a risk associated with that. Because, like, we couldn't afford to lose control when we were hunting wild animals to feed us. Like, if you lost control, you were dead. That wild animal is going to kill you. So that comes with an intense fear of failing or not surviving, which then creates that anxiety and that fear of losing control. And it's crippling. It's probably one of the worst experiences. Um, There also is the constant stress of impending doom. So it's like you're constantly waiting for the other foot to drop. Or other shoe to drop? Other shoe. other shoe to drop? Is that the phrase? Yes. You're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. Even if everything is going okay, you constantly have this feeling in the back of your mind, like, oh, when is it going to fall apart? Yeah. When is it going to be destroyed? When is everything that I've worked for going to be taken away from me? When, and a lot of times it will cause people to be afraid of success because. And people won't do things because they're afraid of failing and afraid of not. Right afraid of the other shoe so people will just not try yeah me I'm afraid of both I'm afraid of success because if you succeed then something can be taken away and I'm afraid of failing because if you fail then that is inadequacy so a lot of times unless I push myself I get very stuck like I've been working on my coaching program for how many months Uh, (laughs) and it's supposed it's going to be done by the end of the week but it's still like something that could have taken me a month has taken me three months because I'm constantly battling my own anxiety and my own fear. And, oh, I can't launch this because it might be imperfect or I can't do this because it might not be what I expected it to be. And then I'm going to feel destroyed because I put so much work into it. But 
it's guaranteed if you never try that you will fail. If you try, there's a 50-50 chance you'll succeed. If you never try, that's guaranteed you're going to fail because you won't even try. So anyways, we're getting a little long here. So we're oh going to go. Oh my God, are those all still your notes? Uh, yes, actually. All right, let's. Uh, but we're not going to go through all of them. We'll do a double. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll just go through like how to solve this. Okay, well, first, benefits. There is benefits to being an anxious person. I thought that that was very important. Why don't we just make this a part two? Um, because we still got about five minutes. Okay. We've been we've been running about forty five minutes lately. All right. we'll talk so fast. we still got five talk minutes. Fast. So the benefits of being an anxious person is you're caring, empathetic. They're often peacemakers. They're rule followers. They're good citizens, and they have a strong desire to overcome challenges. Like as a high functioning anxious person. I would so there are benefits to being high functioning anxious, but um, people tend to overfunction and to try and perfectly do everything. And then they burn out. And then they burn out, which is the biggest risk with high functioning anxiety and, you know, lack of life satisfaction. So some of the solutions to this are developing tools to become confident and self-accepting. Uh, identifying your core values and setting goals that match those core values versus trying to fit society's guidelines or expectations. Uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, counseling, forgetting comparison, and then seeking a healthy life flow. Um, comparison is a huge one. Yes. Comparison, stop comparing yourself to other people because no one will ever live your life and you will never live their life. Right. Stop it. Yep. There is no reason for comparison because we all were created to be unique. We and all we were all designed. Do it. We all do it. I do it. I compare. <laughs> Everyone compares. But your shit is never going to match up to their shit, and their shit's never going to match up to your shit. It just doesn't work that way. Right. And if you Everyone were, has a different life. And if you threw all of your shit into a pile next to their shit, you'd probably take your shit back. Yes. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Not always. No. But people go through everything. People, people go through shit that you will never know about. Right. And they'll never share. You'll know my shit because here we are. But <laughs> you more than likely won't tell me your shit. So Right. So not comparing yourselves to others. Um, practicing mindfulness, which is meditation. I will preach that for the rest of my days. Meditation has been crucial to my entire healing journey. Meditation, yoga, physical activity, journaling. Those are like my posts. I have to have those things in my life. Um, and like the physical activity is actually scientifically backed yeah. because our bodies are meant to move. And if we're not moving, we're not expending extra energy and that energy just stays in our bodies. So also the big one, <laughs> learning to accept criticism because every single person is going to criticize what you do. There will always, always, always be someone who criticizes what you do. And you don't have to live their life. You don't have to fit into their box. You don't have to follow their expectations. But you do have to learn how to accept criticism without allowing it to destroy your life and what your mindset. What other people think about you doesn't define you. You define yourself. Right. And every single person is going to have a different version of you in their mind. Yeah. Their perception is different. I'm like a great person and they think I'm funny and they love me someone specifically right now that can't stand my guts she hates me and she tries to make my life a living hell 
right. um, every day at work. So it's always going to be different. And right. it doesn't matter as long as you like who you are. And the beauty of that is that you get to pick and choose what parts of criticism you take. Like my sister telling me that I need to be easier on my kids, I will accept that criticism and I will take that into consideration and I will try to do better because I know that that's something that she would have insight into and it's also something that I want to change. So I will accept that criticism. Now, if somebody tells me that they think my hair is a shitty color, okay, I'm not going to accept that criticism because I like my natural hair color. So you get to pick and choose what criticism you apply and what advice you take. And you don't have to believe everything that somebody else tells you. If it's not something, so the thing I'm going to leave you with, if you would not trade lives with that person, you have no business taking criticism or advice from them. If you would not trade lives with them, that's not the person that you need to be listening to because you want to better yourself. You want to grow. You want to evolve. Hold on. Hold on a second. Would you trade lives with me? I mean, that's a complicated question. I'm just saying. I mean, your life isn't terrible. But like, but if you, if someone came to you and said, you're going to trade lives with your sister, if you say yes. I wouldn't willingly do it, no. Okay. Because I like my life. However, you take advice and criticism from because I would trade my parenting skills with your parenting skills. Oh, don't say that. Or I would integrate your if parenting I skills. I would say, I would say, if you respect another person and you feel that they have insight on what they are either critiquing you on or if what they critique you on resonates. Yeah. But... This is where we have different opinions. So yeah. that's fine. I just know, like, asking myself that question has helped me in a lot of situations. Would I trade lives with this person? And if the answer is no, then I'm most likely not going to take their advice on, like, living. Like, if you tell me to invest $900,000 into this account and you're broke, I'm probably not going to listen to okay. your advice. Yeah, but that's like a blanket thing. Yeah. But it's just a question you can ask yourself Yeah. when you're being criticized is would I trade lives with this person? And then after that, is what they're saying true or is it their perception of me? Maybe that would be a good one to add so that it's not just trading lives. Yeah. But that would be a good one to add. And then do I respect this person? So you can actually mix and match all three. Because there's a lot of people in my life that I respect, but I would I wouldn't listen to everything that they would have to say. But in some areas, but you in would. some areas, I would. Right, and I'm the same and way I too. Sure as hell, wouldn't want to trade lives with anyone in my life. Right, but I appreciate that they're trying to help me. Well, and different aspects of their life that mm-hmm. you could take into consideration for your own. Yes. Okay. That makes more sense. Anyways. That was a good point. Anyways. (laughs) So, anyways, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about Blue Zones starting next week, unless somebody has something else that they want to talk about, but the Blue Zones are very exciting. What the fuck is a Blue Zone? We'll talk about it next week. Okay. (laughs) All right. right. Until next time, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye.